0: Are we recording? Yeah. Great. Angela, it's go time. Here we go. Showtime. Showtime. Season two of Real Talk Business Conversations. We made it. We made it through season one, and this is the second episode of season two. This podcast focuses on delivering and discussing the hottest business topics for women in business. While listening to this podcast, you will gain a new perspective on ways to progress your career, how to make more income, Gain clarity surrounding business topics, motivation, and so much more. I'm your host, Kari Kohal, career and leadership coach, consultant, and president of a multi million dollar financial brokerage company. I have over 15 years of experience working in every position from mailroom to customer service, and more recently, executive management. I graduated with high honors with a bachelor's in business administration and am three classes away from my MBA. Throughout the years, I've won many awards in sales, business, and leadership, such as third top sales producer in insurance at the age of 25. Business is my passion and helping others succeed in business makes my heart full. And I'm here with my co-host, Angela Orion. She is the director of internal operations at a brokerage company, as well as the president of a nonprofit association. She is also a director of marketing. So she wears many hats and can bring us an outside perspective or another perspective because i do more of the financial things which is more of the money in money out and looking at the operational that way with macro level trends and she looks at more peeling the onion back and looking at more of the human resources and how that applies to operations and running a company more efficiently internally. And then also runs her nonprofit organization. She has a master's in sustainability and has won elite women in insurance enough about us. Let's talk about how to build and promote productive culture. Last episode, which I will link in our description, was about how a seemingly good culture takes a turn for the worse and what implications that has on a company. And if you listen to that episode, I talk about a real life situation that happened in a company where it was a toxic employee that kind of rallied everybody together and turned everyone toxic and it was management versus employees that really hit our productivity and that sort of thing so angela is going to talk about what she looks for when turning a culture from toxic to positive you have experience doing that you've done
1: that firsthand correct Ange? yeah i did (laughs) i had to It's never a good experience, but it's a great learning experience. True, and it helps with, I was going to say experience,
0: We <laughs> you already said it. Yes. Oh my God, funny. Okay, so a recap. I don't know why I decided that I had to talk after that. Like, oh yeah, it helps with experience. It's
1: okay. It's fine. It's a filler.
0: It's a filler. <laughs> uh, so a recap of the characteristics of a bad culture, just to see, maybe you're curious if you work in a bad culture, um, I mean, there's definitely a scale of bad culture. Like some can be dysfunctional and some can be like really, 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 really bad. So there is a spectrum of um, bad cultures. But here are some characteristics. There are seven main characteristics that might pop up in someone's work environment that could highlight having a bad culture. First one is bad communication. It's disrespectful hostile sometimes it can get hostile and there's a lot of triangular communication where instead of going straight to the person to say hey that didn't make me feel good you go talk to your work bestie and tell them hey can you believe this person did this to me Mm -hmm. and then your work bestie is going to rally against that person even though that person didn't do anything to the work bestie they did something to you so that's bad communication That also kind of breeds toxic employee behavior and other employees may assume the company tolerates that bad behavior because they're not doing anything about it. So the other employees start to jump on the bandwagon and being like, oh, okay, so I can act this way, too, because this is how employee A acted. Then the other one is focusing too much on profit and not what is best for client or employee That breeds unethical behavior because it's too ego-driven and profit-driven. The other one, internal employee competition turns into knowledge hoarding and sabotage. That also can pop up as unethical behavior. But essentially what you're doing is you're afraid of your job and your only value that holds you um, above your other employee is knowledge hoarding. So you don't share anything with anybody else and it pretty much holds your company back because you're not communicating and you're not helping the company as a whole move forward. You're just helping yourself move forward. Mm -hmm. The fifth one is micromanagement. That one is kind of like a helicopter manager that's wondering, tracking your every move. And why would you, you're just so nervous to work because you're wondering what's, what am I going to get yelled at for today? And then laissez-faire is the opposite of micromanagement, which is there's no company boundaries. And you just assume, hey, everybody's just going to work and everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And and there's no guidance from management or anything like that. So no one really knows what the heck they're doing at any given time. And they have no expectations and they just kind of show up and they're like, am I doing a good job? I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing, but it seems okay because I haven't been yelled at. And then the last one is company doesn't show interest in their employee or treats them like they're money vessels i definitely watched a uh webinar where the ceo of this company said hire as many employees as you can because employees are vehicles to profit and to me that just highlighted horrible culture because all these employees are not going to be looked at as humans or employees or have other lives. They're just being looked at and evaluated for how much money they make them. And if they don't make them money, they're out. Instead of helping them improve their skills and their career goals, they just spit them out. Come to find out through the grapevine, I actually heard that that company does have a horrible culture and everybody does fight against each other. There's knowledge hoarding. All these, all these characteristics of a bad culture all showed up because the company didn't show interest in the employees and th- from the top down, they just treated them as money vessels. Just how much money can I make? So, and do you have any other ones to add to what makes a bad culture that
1: I might have not hit on? No, I think these really all cover it and like they can be as broad or specific as possible. But all of this absolutely terrible, terrible culture. I know.
0: Angela and I lived through a pretty bad culture and we worked together. We're actually co workers also as our day job, and then we have side jobs and all sorts of things. But we lived this bad culture, and it as manager, we were the managers. And it didn't feel good for us either. Like we hated going into work. Not we didn't hate the work that we were doing and our clients, but showing up at if we could have worked from home, we would have worked from home. Absolutely.
1: Yes. It was as managers. It was that bad. And that's something I know we'll talk about like on the reverse side of like when you know you're in a good culture. Just that oh the resentment and waking up and that dread of going to work. But again, yes, it was the people like who who am I going to bump into today that's going to be having a problem
0: yeah who's going to be mad at me me today it's the revolving door of who's mad at Kari I remember that and you had to come in and be like oh Kari this person's mad at you now today and I was like what did I do now it was
1: constant (laughs) HR work it was a lot Yeah. yeah
0: so what a bad company or what does a bad culture do to a company. We kind of hit on it a little bit. Tons of HR work, like Angela said. Um, It turns teams dysfunctional. Productivity takes a dive bomb. It goes bad, just down because everybody's more focused on being angry at each other than they are at getting things out the door and what's best for the client or why they even took the job in the first place they're more focused on I want to be mad at this person because my work bestie is mad at this person. Yeah. Uh turnover increases because even the toxic people get tired and want to leave because they're burnt out. Uh so if you are experiencing a lot of burnout there's that's multifaceted that we can get into but toxic cultures really can play a big role in increasing the feeling of burnout because Mm -hmm. you're just emotionally exhausted no one likes to get people mad at them all the time you're just exhausted from Mm it it's harder to profit or grow because everybody's mad at each other so you can't grow you can't sell things you can't bring in revenue because your employee force is distracted Mm -hmm. uh harder to recruit because who wants to work for a toxic culture Uh, You'll see in Forbes, uh, Entrepreneur, Harvard Business Review, they really talk about in an interview process how to figure out if the culture is bad and don't take that job. So on the flip side of that for if you're a manager, it's hard to recruit people when you have a bad culture because your interviewee is going to notice that. Reputational damages, big time, because everybody's focused on the internal turmoil instead of what's doing best for the client. So that comes off as poor customer service and ultimately hurts your reputation. And it opens the company up for liability, and the reason for that is unethical behavior. People are gonna do unethical things or miss things that can set you up for errors and omissions or liability. So benefits of a positive and protect or productive culture. So we talked about what a bad culture does to a company, but what do, what's the benefit? So why do you want to work on creating a positive and productive culture? The obvious one on my side for the financial side is profitability and productivity. Yeah. So Angela, what were the benefits? Why did you take on flipping a toxic culture to a good culture. What, why did those benefits, what were the benefits and why did they outweigh the negatives for
1: you? Sure. So as HR, as HR, yes. Um, and Kari mentioned, I have a degree in sustainability, a master's degree. And with that, um, there is people, planet and profit. Then money just flows and no two people are exactly the same so employee happiness is a huge benefit and that's why i took this on because i knew you spend more time at work than you do with your friends or family it should not be a miserable experience so um second part of that too is um the the reverse of what Kari was saying on that a bad culture like when you flip a good culture your company's brand and reputation changes and that's a really good benefit to your business. And again, then triple bottom line, you have happy people, you, um, well, it doesn't apply to the planet, but uh, the profit part then just flows. And then lastly, we mentioned a bit was less HR work. I had freed up so many hours of my day just because Employees are happy, they understand their jobs, they're happy in their jobs. I didn't have as many employee complaints and issues that I had to do meetings and call people in and try to like solve a huge problem. So those are some three three benefits of a positive culture. So really you mm-hmm. were looking at it
0: as, I'm gonna take on this not so comfortable task because rebuilding a toxic culture to a positive culture you're gonna get some upset people people are gonna leave and oh can you give the analogy of the bus oh you yeah I was, gonna mention, the bus. I,
1: I was gonna get to that too. oh sorry that, <laughs> that's okay but it is a great analogy that your company is a bus and everybody is there's a driver of the bus some people need to get on a bus some people need to get off the bus and some people you just need to change their seat So maybe you started out in one part of the company and you've realized like, hey, I have a huge passion now in marketing, or I I started out in service and I really like sales. That's switching the seat on the bus. But the bus is still driving forward. But, um, and I'll get to it later with, yes, some people you have to make the crucial decision that some people you have to get off the bus. Right. They just, there's no employee improvement
0: Mm -hmm. plan that is going to bring them back the damage has is, been done. Has been <laughs> done. <laughs> and we've actually put in place because of that no rehire policies. And I know that has a lot of controversy, but if you are going to go work for in our industry, if you're going to go work for our direct competitor, we just really and and we didn't feel like you, you were part of a toxic culture to us, like you weren't benefiting our culture <laughs> We do have where these um, processes in place that protect our culture because that is super important. Once you turn a culture from being toxic to positive, you need to protect that. Yes. And if that means having to – if you are in a position where you can put in place um, measures to create those boundaries to protect your culture, do that because it is a lot of work. I think it took us – I know I'm jumping to – I I have some more stuff to ask Angela about it, but it takes years to rebuild a culture. It does. And one thing about culture is you, if you do not set a culture, the loudest person will set the culture for you. So just because you aren't setting the culture doesn't mean that there isn't a culture if you're a manager. There
1: will always be a default culture. You just have to create it promote it. Correct. And that's the brand reputation thing we were talking about too. And it's exactly it's exactly that. So before we get
0: into Angela walking us through how do you rebuild a culture from being toxic to positive, we're going to have her walk us through that entire process that you guys can take this, grab your notebooks, jot it down, and see how you can apply this in your work environment immediately. Even if you guys are fully remote or you're in That's another big thing. Even though you're fully remote, maybe you guys work from home, maybe your department works from home or your whole company works from home or you guys are back in the office, there's always a culture. When you bring a bunch of people together, there will always be a culture. Mm -hmm. So this does apply if you work from home or work remote. So before you get into it, I have some questions for you to ask yourself. How to do it before you do anything what is your goal of recreating your culture? Are you looking to improve your direct team's culture? Are you looking to improve your department? Or is this an enterprise-wide goal? What kind of goal are you looking for when you're getting into turning your culture or, or improving your culture? Also ask yourself, what is in your control? Can you control the culture rehaul enterprise-wide? Are you in a position where you can do that? Or is your influence in your direct team? Figure out where you wanna start and that starting point should be where you have the most influence. So if you have the most influence because you lead a team, start there and then promote it celebrate it and maybe that will build into your department and maybe after your department it builds into Um, your whole office, like the office that you're in, or your region. And then from your region, maybe it goes enterprise-wide. So start small work where you can leverage your most influence. If you start where you don't have a strong influence, your efforts will fall on deaf ears and could also make the problem worse since you gave them fuel to blame you. Because now you came forward, now they're gonna think you're the problem. So you don't wanna do that either. Anything, and another thing to look at before you do anything is, do I have the approval slash buy-in from leadership to implement changes? Remember, in general, not a lot of people like change. No matter how toxic something is, change can be more uncomfortable than that. And people like to avoid being uncomfortable so even though that they might be working in a toxic culture and for you that feels like really really bad someone else might just be like oh it's fine it's more uncomfortable to speak up than it is just to deal with the battering of a toxic culture if you aren't sure if you have the right amount of influence or how to start your planning or if putting in the effort to do a culture rehaul will affect your professional brand negatively invest in a career coach. They can guide you and give you clarity specifically in your situation and set you up so, because you only have one shot at doing this correctly. So get do as much homework as you can and a career coach will help you do your homework, brainstorm, come up with a plan so that you can execute on the plan. And career coaches are not as expensive as you might think. Just find one that jives well with you. I'm a career coach. I would be honored to be your career coach. Uh, it, the company is Balanced in Pink. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn. You can email me at balancedandpink at gmail.com. Uh, I think I'm also on like Pinterest and TikTok, lots of things. So if you wanna find me, I will also link my contact information in the description of this episode. I would love to be your career coach and set you up for this. We have a lot of experience and how to rebuild a culture. So if you're looking for someone to help you with that, I am your person. Then after that, jot down characteristics of the work culture you would like to see. Be sure it is utilitarian and not just benefiting you. It should benefit the greater good of the company or the greater good of your team, not just what you wanna see. It should benefit everybody on your team, not just you. And finally, are you willing to put in the ongoing effort to live, breathe, promote, and celebrate the culture? Angela's going to get into that because, yes, the upfront work is really important, but it's maintaining the culture every single day that really is where you're going to see the benefits of a positive culture. It's not just doing it once. This is not a one A one hit wonder. (laughs) You're going to be doing this a lot that you're going to start living it. It's going to be habitual. So, okay, Angela, walk us through what you did when you rebuilt a culture from
1: being toxic to positive. Sure. So, I kind of put it down in five steps. But the biggest one, step number one, is identifying who. And what created the shift or the change in the culture? It's sometimes it could be a policy put in place from upper management that is really difficult and actually takes more time for others. And that's like that's where you can identify it. Like Once you can see where the problem is, you identify it, and then you can go on to your next step. And that is, are those employees savable? So once something has turned toxic, is it savable because it was a process that made them really get upset and toxic? Or is this person just too far gone? Like we gave the analogy of the bus. Is it time to get off the bus? Or do they just need to move and change the seat? And sometimes two employees end up getting so toxic that they really are detrimental to the brand, meaning that they no longer even um, live and breathe what the brand stands for or what the job is for. Then the third one, was um, so the in part number two was making those really tough calls. I didn't say that too. that uh, it's very hard to fire people because especially for myself, I'm like, I'm really going to change somebody's life here. However, everyone's malleable, everyone's adaptable. And sometimes it is for the best and that person's best because they didn't realize how much it's affecting them. So the number three is communication. Community, like you can see number one and two are the hard where it's toxic. And number three is our middle road. So we've made a change. We're going to go positive, And then you have to communicate. That's the biggest thing that I think companies don't do is communicating, um, not like Simon Sinek's the why, but the why did this person leave. But within HR wise, right? You can't like just spill all the marbles and share <laughs> all the deeds. Right. But you have to make it. You have to say why that change was made. And then, um, and then try to be as transparent as possible why that policy was put in place so they can get a good picture. And then you get the buy-in of the team. And so um, why management made the call, rebuilding trust in employees. And by default, the company, too, you're rebuilding trust within your clients, And so communication is huge. Number four is then consistency in those communication and changes. It's just like I call it, especially at the new year here. It's like, I'm going to join a gym. I'm going to go diet. And then three months later, you end up just being a gym donor because you don't (laughs) go and you give the money. You have to follow through. You have to have intention. And that's what creates a more positive culture. And then the fifth is hiring the people that truly thrive in your culture. No two employees are the same and um, like things that motivate them and drive them are all vastly different. But again, understanding what the brand stands for and you being like consistent in your actions, that's all incorporated in making a positive culture. So um, yeah. I think that was the biggest one is
0: hiring the right people. So Angela really moved people around on the bus and kick some people off of the bus and it's hard. It's hard to do that. It's no one, you are in the right position if you hate letting people go. I like, actually
1: have a funny, th- I. it's not funny, but I emotionally and physically get sick after I've fired every person. Right. And it's not a comfortable feeling. It's not. But it has to happen to protect
0: the reputation, the brand, and where your brand or where the company's going having the right people that can celebrate your brand is so important. And I feel you, during the interview process, you were very particular about this is the type of person that would thrive in the culture that I am looking to create. Yes, And you, through your interview process, really looked for those characteristics. Yeah, they could do the job. The resume shows you if they can do the job. You were really in the interview process looking at,
1: Is this person going to thrive in this culture? And I think a part of this, too, was this authentic, transparent communication. And I started that foundation in the beginning of interviewing. Exactly what the job looks like. So I'm going to talk about like our service department. That is data-heavy, quality control. You have to almost be slightly a perfectionist for this. I, when hiring someone, it's like, do you like data entry? Do you like looking at spreadsheets? I personally, I love it. I work in marketing, I love it. Uh, But if I had a salesperson sitting in front of me and I'm trying to hire them to do data entry and quality control, forget it. There's no amount of positive culture that will make this person happy in this job. So you're right that it had to start from the very beginning of that I was hiring for our culture. I wanted happy people. And then to Kari's point about change is hard. If you're happy in your job and a change has been implemented, everyone seems to rally together and like embrace the change. It doesn't feel as dreaded. And that's also a huge complement to a change of a positive culture. Exactly. Because
0: everybody's supportive. You have that team collective feeling yes. that you wouldn't get in a toxic culture because some of the characteristics of a toxic or bad culture. I shouldn't use toxic because like I said, there's different spectrums yes. of you could have, you know, a bad culture, but then you can have a straight up Toxic culture. And, and bad cultures. some of it is triangular communication or the hoarding of knowledge. Yes. And all of that kind of shows up in not supporting each other when new changes come because the other person is going to look at it as, oh, if I embrace this and this next person doesn't, maybe I'll get the promotion. It's
1: communication and consistency. And that way, even on the management side, your team or your employees know you as a manager and they can lean on you knowing that, okay, Angela always is a clear communicator. We trust her. She's shown us interactions that when she shares information, she's done her due diligence before sharing or implementing something.
0: So when you were looking, of, I was bought into it. Angela and I kind of, I just got done taking an executive <laughs> communication class for my graduate school or my master's in business. And we talked all about culture. Angela and I kind of sat down, came up with a game plan. But were there other leaders that you had to get buy in before you started to do this culture rehaul? Cause I was already bought in, but did you need to get other leaders
1: involved? Yeah, so I did. I had to, You, especially when you are not an owner of a company, you technically, you are helping work at, on the brand, but you do have to go to the higher ups and feel if your vision as to what the brand stands for, then uh, if those align. And so that can be also, again, some crucial conversations to change it. And then like no two employees are the same. So no two leaders are the same. So I do communicate differently towards them. And then, yes, once we understand the why, oh that's another big thing, all management or people all need to understand the culture because then everyone's living and breathing it. You can't have like two different feelings of what the culture should be. So like Kari said, yeah, we agreed on it. And then equally the way communicating it with our higher ups and leaders, they equally though, unintentionally, we all had the same feelings of what our culture at our company should be. Right. And what you did was you went to our CEO
0: and said, Hey, we got here's a my we got a problem. He felt it already. And he's not an emotionally intelligent, no. to give you perspective, he is not an emotionally intelligent person at all. And he could feel the tension you could in our work culture. You could cut with a
1: knife. You could cut the tension with a knife.
0: And you essentially went in to him and said, hey, we got it, Houston, we got a problem. Yes. <laughs> and then you went, but here's how I'm gonna solve it. And really that's what managers wanna see. Present a problem, how are you going to solve it, and how is this going to make us more money? Very Done. simple. Done. Very simple. Or whatever their matrix is that they're getting evaluated as, as a manager. Yes. You, if, if you are implementing a change in culture, or if you're in HR, you go to them with a problem, you go to them with a solution, and you say, here is how that solution is going to make you look better as a manager. Right. And that's essentially what you did with our CEO. Yes. Right. And that was super important because he also needed training on how to live the new culture, though, because he was more of the laissez-faire management style. So you almost helped him.
1: His vision was, and Kari talked about this at the beginning, his vision was you come to work and you do your job. But that's because he was living and breathing his, like, passion for his job. But that's my point of, like, hiring people that are not passionate about their job, like, it's not going to work. So there was a huge disconnect in our CEO on on what do you mean you just don't come to work and do your job? <laughs> so there was filling in those little gaps from the top to the bottom. And so, yes, there was a little uh, change, like, to change positively because we're so used to operating in a bad culture. Right. But um, that was like putting the puzzle pieces together from the top down. Right. So another thing that we do
0: is I have definitely promoted people based off of their ability to live, breathe, and celebrate the culture that was being created and promoted within mm-hmm. HR or our internal culture, because that plays a really big role in the brand experience and the customer experience of our clients. We promote people based off of, yes, can they do the job? But if if we're looking at two people, yes, they both can do the job, but which one mm-hmm. promotes, lives, and breathes and gives the client our brand and culture experience. And we
1: made the right decision on who was going to be VP because of uh, how things changed after the promotion was made. That it's like those, how people respond to information equally is a part of culture and people living and breathing whether they like their job or not. But yeah, the call was made based not only on resume but also yes on personability and passion skills i keep saying passion but it's like a, true simon sinek has a video i believe talking about um, the green berets and a team and a functional team and i highly recommend checking that out because it alludes to exactly what kari said was high performer and trust and where the best one falls and that is trust right so when you're looking at promoting also look at their
0: culture. Yes, they can do the job, but are they living, breathing, and promoting the culture that is that your company has created without a lot of effort? Are they doing it authentically? Yes, authenticity um, is huge. Are They're not just doing it because you asked them to do it, they're doing it because they authentically believe in the culture that you wanted or that your company has. So when you're looking at promotions, look for someone that, yes, can do the job and is, is, and is excelling at the job. But also don't forget about that piece of authenticity to celebrate, live and breathe your culture because that is who is going to be promoting the brand experience and your client experience.
1: Correct, because it can be very expensive actually to take a positive culture and turn it bad. And especially like Kari had mentioned in the beginning about employee turnover and so on. So that is incredibly important.
0: Right, so how long would you say it took to turn a culture from the day you said, hey, we got Houston, we got a problem, we got to fix this, to really seeing the benefits of a positive culture.
1: I think truthfully 2 years, which seems like so long, but really those big choices were all made within the first year and that then the the biggest change was starting of year 2. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I would say I would 20. say it does take about 3 years to really feel the groove. Um, because you have your first year of needing, because you have the time period of having to hire the right people. Right. And then getting them trained up and then them feeling confident in what they do. Another question, do you still work on our culture?
1: I, every day, every day I do, I intentionally check in on employees and check in, meaning uh, like, how was your weekend? What did you do? Like finding out what, what everybody's into i we had an employee today just say like i'm so happy today and she just was beaming and that just means the world and i was beaming everybody's happy so it is though it's a daily thing and you're allowed to have bad days and you're allowed to have good days too but it's a daily daily effort to maintain a positive culture. And it's authentic though. It's not like- It's uh, not forced. Correct. It's not a force. It's genuinely me being happy and helping and wanting to know what everybody's up to. And imagine the difference of calling a company
0: and you have someone that works in a toxic culture that is pissed off at someone else and they answer the phone. Think of how that conversation's gonna go. It's not gonna be, they're gonna be like, what do you want? Right, fine, I'll do it. Okay, great. You know, it's gonna be very curt and short and try to get off the phone with you. Or flip side, called the employee today. Let's say you called in and you got the employee today that was just beaming, skip, literally skipping, saying yeah. how happy they were. How do you think that phone call is gonna okay. go as a client calling in to the company and right. they get that employee? That's gonna be amazing. They're gonna ask you how your day is. They're going to, you're gonna get off that phone call feeling amazing. You're gonna have a good day because <laughs> that energy is contagious. Correct. So there's just just right there is a great example of the benefit of having such a strong culture or a positive culture.
1: Right. And that's also like I, I keep going back to it, but that's communication, trust, and consistency are all I think the the three pillars of a positive culture. Love it. That brings us to
0: our end. Um, Join us for the next episode. It's going to be on the best management style to gain more influence. And in there, we're also going to talk about is authoritative management style dead. There's a lot of different management styles out there. And there's a lot of different generations in the workforce. And we're going to talk about which management style is the best to gain more influence. And is the authoritative management out? Should it be thrown out the back? tour. In the meantime, I'm very active on Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok, sharing career progression advice and discussing hot topics in business. A lot of times what I'll do is take a screenshot of a recent article in the media and I'll break it down with my thoughts. So I'll do a green screen and just kind of break it down and say, hey, I think this is BS, or yeah, this actually could apply in your career as a woman in business. Find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. If you want a real relaxed view of what I talk about, go to TikTok. If you want more of a professional view of what I talk about, go to LinkedIn, just because of the platforms. If you want to follow along, I would love to have you join. Just hit the follow button on any of the platforms that you like to follow. If you're looking for ways to support our podcast, a quick subscribe, review, and share. Either one, all of the above, whatever, is wonderful and would mean the world to us because that is a great way for other people to learn and to support us. If you want to reach out or are interested in being a guest speaker, if you're an entrepreneur, if you are a woman in business that is in a management position and have a unique story that you want to share to help other people in business grow their careers, please reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram. Just message me at balancedandpink or email balancedandpink at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Angela, thank you as always for jumping on here with me and sharing your perspective on HR internal operations. Anytime, it's
1: what I do.
0: ESG. All of it. All of it. Thank you so much.